Should be live. I think we're at that point. Uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, Big Zoo, how are you doing today? Thank you for being here. This is a very exciting, very exciting day for me, at least. Uh, we get to do this episode of Bridge the Gap with Mr. Big Zoo, who is uh, quite the educational dude. So for myself, this, this is all about knowledge, right? That's why it's called Bridge the Gap. That, hold up. Um, that's why it's all about I have your music playing on my side, and I just want to, like, stop that so that it's not playing in my ears because, you know, listening to your music was a way to get into the vibe for this stream. You are very talented, by the way. I love the depth in your lyrics. I love the little bars you have all over the place that give these little knowledge nuggets, these little things, or even an example just to show you, like, from the album, why y'all should really peep this um the way that the one right before fear not ends with a little excerpt on fear and then you like tie that into like this yeah. fear not. it's beautifully done oh. it's masterfully put together glad you picked that up glad you picked that up those are kind of the <clears throat> that's the subtext in the album if you will and i shared with many people <clears throat> first of all thank you for being here as well and um i, I heard your interview with my brother nunzio and, and it put me on to the to the depth that you go in, you know, also exhibited by your, your your comment there. But I do, first of all, my album is called No Beast So Fierce, and my name is Big Zoo. And you could go search that anywhere if you're listening to this interview. But beyond that, I do come from an era and from a specific cloth where when I was coming up, it really was about albums. It really was mm. about creating a a a full kind of movement, if you will, like a beginning, middle and end to something, a full, you know, story or idea. And I, I tried to emulate that with my album. You know, that's, that's why you hear the subtle connections like that, you know? I love that a lot, dude. There are a few more of those too throughout the album. Yeah. I wonder, do people pick up on, you know? I don't know if everyone in the world picked up on it, but there was a few things that I really enjoyed in that, and it made me want to re-listen to it. I've heard that project, because I also played it right before uh, we did Nunzio, right? So I've now listened to it on a few sessions, and I feel like every time you go back to it, there's a little bit more depth. And I'm really looking forward to like learning a lot more about you, right? Because not only that, we went back and listened to that end of the week 2003 uh, project you guys dropped, and just hearing how like consistently knowledgeable you are is very exciting um, for me bridge the gap is really about knowledge right we like to talk to people get their stories and in their stories there's just a bunch of knowledge nuggets just kind of waiting to be extracted and share with the people plus we get to learn a lot more i mean uh for me it's cruel because uh what i discovered is i got to learn a lot more about new york city right this is a thing where hip-hop uh is huge for the city i mean for the whole scene for the culture but somebody like me, I don't know. Like when y'all go, you know what I mean? Rarely do I fully know what you guys mean when you actually use that expression and verbiage. Yeah. Now I mean, so well, <clears throat> well, let me let me let me take you there for a minute. It's interesting because of the crew, <clears throat> and although I wear the flag that is EOW NYC, and that's where EOW started, I personally am from New Jersey, right? Mm. I'm from next door to New York, if you will, and frankly. There's a lot in my cipher that is the same way, you know, that you're talking about. It's like I grew up in awe of NY, you know what I'm saying? And 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 at the age when I got the ability, you know, my parents trusted me enough to get on the bus with my friends to go west, really, and go to the mall, we would go east and go to NY, you know what I'm saying? And we went to record stores, we went to, you know, the village, of course, was a big hangout spot. 
but I too grew up with that kind of um, feeling about New York. And I've even joked that I've grown up kind of with this like invisible umbilical cord connected to NY, you know, like the, the money I make right now, frankly, I could do really well in other parts of the United States, right? I, I could buy a bigger property. I could have mm. more square footage and all of that. And frankly, I work remotely now, so I really could do that. But there's still this thing that keeps me connected. I mean, my family lives around here too, but New York has that kind of power, even in my life. That's amazing. And I'm glad you, you brought that up with your youth because let's a segue into my like new staple first question that I really like to ask people because for me, uh, the musical journey is it doesn't really start with like, you know, when you get into music, right? It goes back a little bit earlier too. in fact, when you're really young with your childhood. So this has a little story attached to it because my questions can be kind of convoluted, but my girlfriend's uh, washing the dishes one time, and she's bumping that Black Eyed Peas shit where the, I got a feeling, whatever. That shit was like the biggest shit in the world 10 years ago when I was young enough to be in the clubs doing my little circle dances and whatnot. But now it's like she's washing the dishes, and that shit's chore music. And it made me like really think back to when I was young and what was the chore music in my house. You know, what were my parents listening to? And so my mom's bumping that disco, and my dad's got the Zeppelins on and things like that. And then as I started asking people this question, we thought about the car music and and the different vibes that the music can appear around. And then maybe you have siblings and they have their whole uh, influence yes. on the music. But really, it's because at this age, when you're really young, you don't control the music around you. The music around you is kind of played by other people. So to really start your journey properly, we need to know what was the sounds in uh, Big Zoo's house in Jersey as he's like growing up. How were you listening to it? What was it like when you were yeah. young? Okay. That's a good one. Um, frankly, I like your, your the vibe of it too. You call it chore music, and we, we you know we kind of refer to it like that. Like that's the clean up the house music. That's you know, and frankly, I I did grow up with siblings, so my parents were much older. My mother didn't have me until she was forty four years old, um, forty three years old, and she listened to a lot of Johnny Mathis. You know, I remember that being her favorite light skinned soul singer didn't have a lot of soul in his singing. If you will, he sang very much like a Frank Sinatra kind of, but um, was labeled a soul singer just by the nature of the color of his skin. But the most influence that had on me is I have a sister, Lisa, who's eight years older than me and a sister, Susan, who's 12 years older than me. And they were the ones, you know what I'm saying? So they were playing, Anita Baker and Shaka Khan and um, that wave, you know what I'm saying? And that, that was the, that was the music I was listening to. And when you talk about not controlling the music is also so interesting. You're taking me back here. Um, so first <laughs> of all, that, that soul music, the Sade, the, the Anita Baker, the Shaka Khan would be the cleanup music in my house. Right. And, and both of my sisters sing actually. So they would be singing and, and, you know, vibing. But one time, as literally like the fifth wheel, I was the youngest, so they would always be like forced. They would have to take me. Like, you got to take Chris. You got to take Chris. So they had, there was this. There's this place here in Jersey called Darlington, which is like a man-made beach. So you go, you pay your money, you park your car, you go. It's a lake, I guess. So you go get in the lake, and there was no room for me to go. Even we had a station wagon, and there was that big area in the back. So they were like, you'll put him in the back in the station wagon. So my sister and her friends are all packed up in the front. I'm in the way back in the station wagon and they have the boom box. It'll only fit back by me. 
So literally, because I was in the back, you know, in essence, I had control of the music. I was playing what they wanted me to play. But I remember as we were literally um, about, we were on the line, like to get into Darlington, this record came on called Planet Rock on the fucking boombox. It was somebody's tape, and it's the classic, like, right? And yo, I think I rewinded that shit like eleven times, and I and I had the radio all the way in the back, back, back of the station wagon, so people were even complaining, like, yo, enough of that, like, play the next song, and I'm like, nah, yo, Planet Rock again, and again, and again, and I remember that that was pivotal, you know. A to your point, I finally had control of the. Um, music but b planet rock i was transfixed by that shit i had how, never heard it before i guess how old were you when that came out i i don't remember but i'm thinking yikes i don't know i mean i'm older than most of the the eo dub fam so i was still in my formative stages but i couldn't put okay. an age to it but that was pivotal um planet that's rock. like so it's super interesting how you share that. First of all, I love how you tell stories. Like I'm following it like it's a book and I know you're a big reader and I'm almost picturing the words line by line being composed in paragraph. Like I love it. To me, it's almost like listening to an audio book. So I'm truly excited to get, as this is going to go on. But um, even your story, it's, it's a good start, right? Because some people really have like parental influences. Some people have just the media, the general pop spheres. But in your case, uh, the sibling one is there. And it's happened a few times where I've talked to people where the sibling one is there. And I don't necessarily know all the correlations yet. But as we find, usually these things kind of flow into each other and kind of really make sense when we get to the more juicier parts of the Big Zoo story down the line. So I'm sure it's going to connect to something at some point. Um, but you guys were all doing the vinyls back then or how is it like the radio was it like that or tapes yeah like it was it was yeah it was tapes and we were collecting vinyl so uh some vinyl stories like i said when when i was a shorty shorty now i might have been like 12 13 when we would take the bus to ny we would get off at 42nd street like walk four blocks go to a record store called rock and soul and we would buy black labels and shit, and we were buying wax. And we oftentimes would get right back on the bus and go back to Jersey and think like we had accomplished like this great mission, right? But we were buying wax. Then as wax um, continued to evolve, we were buying wax. I mean, all the way up through the Fat Beats area, frankly. But a lot of the wax I remember buying was from Rock and Soul, which was really a you know, it was almost like the Wiz, where they would sell like radios, tapes, this, that, and the other. But if you go to the back and downstairs to the basement, they were selling wax. So there was a secret kind of like subculture to it. And then there was the radio. So the mm -hmm. radio was Mr. Magic and Molly Mall and Red Alert. And those were the people that were on the radio when I was young. You know, then it evolved into Funkmaster Flex. But there was also Stretch and Bobbito. And if you're from, you know, my era, one of the parallel lines is traditionally Stretch and Bobbito. Are you familiar with this radio show? I am, heard I'm before? not that familiar with Stretch. I mean, I've heard the name, but the significance okay. is not there for yeah. me. If you want to well, I mentioned it to it. you, but we, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. it's all good. So, so again, this has to be late 80s into the early 90s, right? And there's a radio show that would come on, actually. We always call it, you know, people argue because we call it Thursday night. But in reality, it was Wednesday. It was Friday morning, right? It would come on at 1 a.m. And it would be on till 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. 
and they would play the most exclusive futuristic shit. I mean, this for your listeners, for your people who really ever are watching this in history, you can go see the the Stretch and Bobito film. Um, you can Google it, watch it, and that'll give you a big um, mm. big clue to it. But in essence, they played all the cl- like the the music that I became the fabric of my life. They played, and they were famous for playing very obscure you know music like i remember one night in particular i taped the original shook ones by mob deep which is the super dark beat the um i'm about to do the beat with my mouth but anyway it's the original shook ones right i did this i got that the same night i taped your mama by the far side you know what i'm saying which is your mama your mama you know that record so the 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 diversity that they were dealing with on their station was tremendous. But I got another one. Talk about personal story. My You're wife, talking my, Zoo. To yeah. interrupt you, sorry. Um, it's Stretch and Bobito Radio That Changed Lives. Is the name of the film, correct. The, the film. But it was 89.9 FM, and it was a college radio station, and the bandwidth wasn't that big, right? So you wouldn't get it if you was, like, in Philly or somewhere. But I attended college in 1989, uh, well, in 1990, um, at a school called Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And and New Brunswick, New Jersey is an hour south of where I was living in Teaneck, New Jersey. And we could still catch the Stretch and Bobbito, you know, radio wavelength, the 89.9. We could catch it out there and we were, we were listening to it. But what's so interesting is my wife is here on the line. A funny story is my wife lived on a different campus. Now we were dating at the time and I just had met her. I was living on Livingston campus and she was living on Bush campus. And she had clearly a flyer place than I did. Like she lived on the, you know, kind of like smart kid campus, engineering students, law students, that stuff. And Livingston was kind of like the hood campus where I lived. But her, her from her room, she had better reception to get Stretch and Bobbito. So it became a ritual that I would go spend the night over at her crib on Thursday nights so I could tape Stretch and Bobbito from her room. Hence, you know, we're married now. This is 100 years later, but Stretch and Bobbito helped bring us together. I actually told Bobbito that story before, too, when I saw him. Mm. I, I told him that story. That's Yo, a hip-hop man. love story. Dude, it's incredible. That's a true story. All right, I love the way your brain works, man. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying every second of it so far. But I want to go back to you being a young, young one, and then we're gonna work through it all. And we're gonna get to all the stories. Always feel free to take the tangent. Let your mind go. Don't worry. I'm keeping track of shit. So, um, I want to ask about the other elements of your youth and shit. And because yo, when you were young, like you're growing up in the beginning of hip hop time. So there's definitely more we can get out of this era of life before moving into the high schools and other stuff. Were you involved with the dancing or the graffitis or the other stuff when you were young? Yeah, I was a a dancer. I was popping and locking and and break dancing early on for sure. a funny story about that, which is also a story about racism, which could uh, kind of encapsulate where I came from, too. Unlike a lot of, you know, Dave Chappelle tells this joke where he's like, I'm not from the projects, but when I be hanging with Nas and them and they be complaining about the projects, like he just stays quiet. I'm very much the same way. I'm not from the project. I'm from the very suburban Teaneck, New Jersey. You know what I'm saying? I, I've worked and lived in different places. 
but I've had a very privileged lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? I'm the I'm the child of two educators. I I came up in a very um decent way. So right. growing up, you know, as hip hop is taking over, I'm in a very white town and the town is predominantly Jewish, right? So frankly, I'm attending bar mitzvah after bat mitzvah after bar mitzvah. When I was 13, I probably went to like 20 bar and bat mitzvahs, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember one in particular that um, we were, we, you know, and it was all about the scale of like how big your bar mitzvah was. It was almost like they were battling. They, have, You know, I was at super lavish events. This one was interesting because the the girl's invite said, come to her house. Like the invitation was like, come to my house for my bar mitzvah. And they were actually cracking jokes. Like she got, she having it at her house. Like this is how privileged the neighborhood I lived in. You know what I'm saying? They were joking that that like she was poor yeah, because she was having exactly the bar, bar mitzvah from her. Right. Yeah. So we go to her house, though, and there's a charter bus there to take us to this place called the Tammy Crest Country Club, which is up on 9W, super schmancy. Right. Um, we go to this. And so now, in essence, she has outdone everyone's um, bar and bat mitzvah in like one fell swoop. Right. Because she has this here. Not only does she have a band that they traditionally have, but she has a DJ. The DJ is playing. 80s music, you know what I'm saying? Like Tears for Fears and this type shit, Cindy Lauper. And he has some hip hop records, right? And I'm there with this girl named Vanessa Jones. I remember like I had a crush on Vanessa Jones and we were literally like two of maybe four black people in an event that had like 600 people at it, like a humongous event, right? And we're like this tiny minority in the group. And I remember the DJ threw on hip hop music. I don't remember the record. It might have been Run DMC or some shit. But I remember that the crowd started being like, go, go, like for us to start breaking and popping and shit. And yo, get it, don't get it fucked up. Me and Vanessa Jones started breaking and pop locking and dancing and all this shit. I remember Vanessa Jones had on a leather skirt, which was like super schmancy at the time. And she fuck around and did a backspin like on the floor in the leather skirt. Like we was really killing shit. Like if you had it on film, you'd be like, these kids were killing it. But the the hip hop, we got up and like we had finished breaking and the music turned off and they went right back to like Cindy Lauper, some other David Bowie, some other shit, right? And we were real proud of ourselves. Like, ooh, we killed it. We did like the hip hop dancing. You know, it wasn't till years later that it really dawned on me that we were almost like the fucking entertainment that day. You know what I'm saying? The whole crowd went from like, go, go, like break, do that, that hood shit. You know what I'm saying? Like do it. Yo, and don't you know me and Vanessa Jones was doing it hard body. Like we we was performing like we was fucking getting paid. And when I look back on that, I look at how how immediately the music changed and the crowd was right back to like, it was like, yo, they completely, they was like perform. You know Mm. what I'm saying? That's an interesting one. And again, it's it's it speaks to the area in which I grew up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I saw a different side than maybe other people saw. I absolutely think that was an interesting one. Um, I'm Jewish, not but not like religious Jewish. Like I'm kind of like my mom converted to Christianity Jewish. So I grew up in a completely, but I'm technically Jewish. So like I know what you're talking about with that whole, the, the way the Jewish yeah. folk could be with bar mitzvah season and shit. I understand exactly what it's oh, like yeah. to be around a group of people like that and not feel like you belong. Because my last name is Roy. So when they put up nameplates and shit, dude, it's just like, 
you're Jewish? I'm like, yeah, you're not your supposed shit to sticks ask out. That. Yeah, like, how? <laughs> how? Right? I'm like, my mom. It was so interesting. But you know, I, I've. Oh, is she? So her, yeah. she's got a classic. She's got a classic. Yeah. Well, you got the remix. You got the Roy remix. But I, I will tell you that, interestingly, and, and because we're bouncing around a lot, right? Years later, I went to become a teacher in the Bronx, right? And I taught in the Bronx for many years. And forgive me, just connects here. And I saw my kids in the Bronx who were 98% Black and Latino their neighborhood, they were conditioned to seeing people who look like themselves, right? So the places they would usually go, the the restaurant, the bodega, the the check cashing spot, the Chinese food spot, they would all see like minorities, right? And it wasn't until they went to like a bank or went downtown or went to the big office building where they even saw white people. Right. Right. They weren't segregated by law, but they were they were segregated by economic um, circumstances. But what it did is it for them, I think, and I I know this for a fact for some of them, it made them look at white people like this kind of scary other thing like, oh, my God, white people like, what do we do? But for me being raised around them so, you know, openly. It didn't do that for me in my in my schema. You know what I'm saying? I didn't look at white people as this scary other thing. I just was like, oh, they white. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm a, and in a way, I think it helped me evolve with some of my relationships in the future. Nah, it makes total sense to me. I had a similar thing. I went to what you would call a black high school up in uh, Montreal. So white people were like not the majority in that place. And it got me exposed to a lot of different cultures. And then when I ended up getting into my first area of life where white people were the majority again it was like a culture shock at how different people can be when they're not put into an environment where they're exposed to things that are completely outside the realm so and even when you're telling me that it resonates heavy with what you're saying and i I always looked at it like a blessing i always looked at it like it it helped me in the long run become a lot more open-minded of a person because there were so many different cultures around me in that little place and that environment that were different than my own yeah. yeah. But well the well the hip hop the hip hop shit continued to evolve. It continued to grow in my life. Um another pivotal moment I remember, and this is still I think pre high school, is is um, you know, Rutgers University was where I went, but it was also where my sister above me went. And as I mentioned, she's eight years older than me and, and very much almost was like a second mother to me than a big sister, right? So she would take me to Rutgers on the weekend sometimes and I would spend the weekend there with her and her friends. So one weekend she says we come, she asked me to come up and she says, we're going to a basketball game. And this is on a Friday night and we're walking across campus and we're going towards the basketball game and it's super crowded. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a super dope basketball game. And as we get close to the spot, she's like, yo, I just wanted to surprise you. We're not going to a basketball game. We're going to see run DMC. And I like, shit myself like it like that shit changed my the whole like structure of my life yo that concert was beyond incredible i saw people that looked like me you know what i'm saying and dressed like me and because you know at the time a lot of rap dudes like the grandmaster flashing them was wearing like weird suits and like fox skin hats and like <laughs> leather suits and silk shit on stage and i wasn't that wasn't my wave but Run DMC had on like fucking like sneakers and shit and like and jeans, and 
was body and shit. Oh, Yo, that one that? will forever. I tell her to Yo, this we, day. We got some comments on my side. Uh, do you remember who opened? I don't. I don't. I don't remember nothing but Run DMC. That's fair enough. That's a huge thing. That's a huge moment, man. Mm-hmm. That's so man, cool, concerts, man. concerts, concerts were a big um, influence. I also, this is before I, I know we were real kids, kids, because I went with my man Corey and his uncle had to take us. We went to the Fresh Fest at Madison Square Garden. This is the shit where um, LL came out the radio on stage, like walked, like the cassette deck opened and he came out the radio. Um, Rakim, Eric B and Rakim definitely performed that night. Um, Run DMC performed that night. And yo, the, you know what else was ill about that night was the violence, though. Like, I know we live in a violent time now, but New York, yo, they was cutting dudes and taking their coats and robbing dudes and oxing dudes in the face, yo. When we left the concert, they had a whole section, like a wing that was it said triage at the at the time as a kid i didn't even know what triage meant i just remember seeing t-r-i-a-g-e and it was all where the injured people were and there was like freaking 40 people beat up cut up you know what i'm saying i remember that being um, you want to explain what oxen is oh it's cutting somebody with a razor you know or or using a box cutter to cut somebody and it's an easily concealed weapon. You know what I'm saying? You could get it in most places. And they would just cut you with it. You know? Yeah, there you go. A straight That's razor. Right. And a lot of times, you know, people would carry it in their mouth. Yeah, there you go. And they get into the spot with it. Sometimes you would have, like, your girl carry the razor in for you. Interesting time that um, we we were that violent, too. As the as hip hop was growing, but that definitely happened. I had a dude named Lachey, my man. At the time, it was these leather gooses was popular, and they oxed him for his goose, and they they took the coat and then cut him, which was like the horrific shit. They beat him down to the ground, took off his coat. He's on his stomach, and they just cut his back up with the razor. Like man. Anyway, I digress. That was a show though that was pivotal, and the shows like the run dmc show that show i think those really like helped ingratiate hip-hop into my life i mean that was just huge right because a lot of what i think is interesting uh at least for the people watching is to learn i mean it's maybe not the most positive story but i've never been to a show where violence like that takes place i'm not saying they don't exist because i mean they might but like I've never encountered that in my life. Like, yeah, maybe Man. somebody gets kicked in the head, and that's a big deal. Two people get, like, taken out by security here and there. But oh, what you God. just described is, like, some real... Because, yo, like, we, we listen to these tracks today, right? Especially some of that gritty New York shit. And there's a lot of violence in these bars. And there's a lot of hardness in these bars. And when you describe a circumstance like that, even so, like, you know, early on in, in the scene and whatnot... It kind of adds this layer of context, right? Like, if that's the shit that's actually happening at the show where these people are performing, well, then you have to be tough in a way that I there personally is. couldn't necessarily, you know, understand at a base level without, like, these kinds of explanations. Well, you, you make a good point, is that, that that air of danger was always in the air. And, I, you know, I don't like to exploit or aggrandize, like, the, the violence part, 
but to your point, like if people can learn from it, um, none who's who's here watching has experienced a lot of this with me. A lot of the more violent, bad experiences. But um, there's a couple maybe off the top of my head that I'm thinking of that were really scary. I think one of them, none, is the one when we saw um, Onyx and they started literally busting in the club, right? So this was during the age of, of throw your guns in the air. And in the club, they started busting off, like at the beginning of the show. And you almost, you know, looking back, we talked for years, like, was that a gimmick, you know, to hype up the bust your guns? But I remember being there and like smelling the gun smoke, you know, in the circle and people backed, backed away from it and then actually pulled back up. That was a, that was just, uh, that was not a great time. But I guess, you know, it is, it is a reason why my music doesn't go in that direction. You know what I'm saying? My music isn't, isn't about that. But man, one more though. That was, that's interesting. And I always joke with none about this. Cause I'm like, yo, if you could tell me where we saw the person, this is how real this story is. Where did we see the worst beat down? Ever. No, Worst no, beat down ever was Stretch uh, Armstrong spinning at um, Bond Street. Bond Street Cafe. Yikes. Okay, thank you. That's just to tell you how real it is. It's because I've known him for 100 years or over 30 yeah. years now. But together we've experienced so many of these. And sadly, we have cataloged that one as like the illest beat down we've seen. Now, in the grand scheme of things, I guess we're blessed that it wasn't gun gun and knife work, right? This was a literal just beat down. But holy shit. It was like something out of a movie, kid. And you know, some a couple of dudes, it was a, a Stretch Armstrong party, which is so crazy. I'll never forget when we walked in, he was playing this Del the Funky Homo Sapien remix. That was like, like some ill, like, and I had heard it before and I was almost like, I can't believe Stretch is playing this shit. Like, this is incredible. The the, the party was incredible. It was like hearing that Stretch and Barbito radio show, but kind of like live. And Stretch, you know, frankly, was a little different. Stretch would play like Mob Deep and he would play like CNN and like he would play Tragedy Gaddafi shit. He wasn't just playing like MF Doom and... Def Jux, you know what I'm saying? He would play that other shit. So Stretch was perfect for us. And this fight jumped off in this club. Goodness gracious. And there was e Asian dudes. And yo, just this one dude got beat up so much, they kept the party going. And we was in the club saying like, yo, that dude's dead. Like he's dead. We were saying to each other, like that's the type beat down where you just dead from. And then when we left the club, like two and a half hours later, we saw a dude like on the street and we was even like our eyes wouldn't even let us believe it. We was like, no, that's not him because the dude we saw get beat up is dead. Like that can't be him because what we saw in the club was like a horror movie. Yo. Anyway, Man. as no, I, I mentioned, that that's why I guess my music does not um, does not exhibit those same tendencies. But it's just like I know that maybe some of that's uncomfortable, but I don't think you were glorifying it or I don't I think you used the word aggrandizing. That's a good word. I like that a lot. Yeah, a um, but I feel like it's more like you were sharing some real knowledge nuggets. Like when people Well, you know what it is doing? I'm gonna share with you a little another trick. You know what it is doing? Is I have two hours on the screen with you and I can choose the things that I wanna speak about which will what will be remembered in this interview. 
So if, you know what I'm saying, if I choose to talk about those negative things, they will exist in this space. But if I choose to move away from that, those other things will exist in this space. So I didn't feel uncomfortable. I just want to confirm mm -hmm. that. I could tell those stories all day. But I, I'm here with you, and I want to leave a different impression on those people who are here in this interview. That's it. And I think that sharing that context is powerful for the people that will watch it because, I mean, a lot of us just don't think about this kind of stuff ever. It would never have crossed my mind to have once considered the literal violence at being in a crowd. And now that's something I get to keep in mind and take with me when I listen to stuff in the future and I go looking at new music and whatnot. So I appreciate that for real. That was really cool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so uh, I guess uh, what happens um, after, like, I think where you said that was at what, early high school that this is happening? Early high shows? school. Okay, yeah. So now again, speaking of a show, another high school event changes my history with hip hop and it's also connected with Nunzio. So I went to Teaneck High School. Nun moved to the from the Bronx to Teaneck um, and we met I, I believe in 10th grade, right? So right. now we spend 10th, 11th, 12th grade together, which is in essence 87, 88, 89, which are these like golden years of hip hop, right? So me and Nun bond immediately. Nun had turntables. I mean he was from the BX. He was like that nigga, you know what I'm saying? He was like from the home of hip hop and I'm from Teaneck and we just, and you know, suburban Teaneck, but also in love with hip hop and we just linked. So our connection was bananas. Like we literally would, in between class, we would have five minutes to switch classes and we would meet somewhere and walk outside and listen to like three and a half minutes of like a public enemy song or a new special ed song or nice and smooth, you know, or these are the groups that were rocking when we were coming up, Jungle Brothers and then Native Tongue hit. And we made, we had a very unique connection to the Native Tongues. I think that De La Soul in in particular will go down as one of my favorite groups because, and you know, I've, I've unpacked this over the years. I think that De La Soul, because I was a suburban kid and in essence, De La was too, right? De La, they're from Long Island. And although they've had very much gritty New York experience as well, they didn't come up like in the projects in the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? So there, I think I kind of connected to them early on. And B, they were trying to say something against the grain. You know, their records were not the traditional, like, I'm the super tough guy and I'll bless your ass or I'm so nice. They were breaking down things in almost like code. And for a while, we became like the De La Whisperers, right? Like people didn't know what potholes in my lawn means. Do you, are you aware of this old De La record called Potholes in My Lawn? I don't think so. I okay. might be, but I Early. off the top of my head now. Yeah, these. I mean, these are from like before you were born, right? But frankly, record called Potholes in My Lawn, famous De La record, right? And what they're really talking about are people biting from them, right? Chunks out of their lawn are like people biting words and verses out of their songs, right? And now if you go back and listen to the record with that knowledge, it'll mean so much more to you. But a lot of people who were, you know, listening to like the Fat Boys and Run DMC, they're like, what the fuck is Potholes in My Lawn? What is the Daisy Age? What is Three Feet High and Rising? You know, De La had a different code to it. So we were really intrigued by De La. And then in 11, it might've been 11th grade or it might've been 12th grade when we did this talent show in the high school. And right. let me tell you, this could be straight from, a, um, you know, like, you know, the director who makes 16 candles and all those movies, like this could straight be from one of his books. This is how like pure this was. 
we were the teenage black guys in the school. We were trying to date like the cool fly chicks and they weren't giving us like no burn. You know what I'm saying? I remember literally the team of super fly chicks. It's so funny how we measure things in our lives because we love these girls. They're giving us no burn. Me and none trying to like be, I guess, kind of popular. We weren't popular. We were like maybe C plus. I was like a C plus student. None was a track star. I didn't have anything unique about me. I was just Joe high school kid. And then we did the talent show. First of all, we bodied that shit. We did like a um, lip sync kind of mix of all these De La Soul records, but we danced in it. We had skits. We had like different, we had girls holding up signs like De La did. Like we had the whole shit to like a high level, bodied it. And I'm going to tell you that the week after that, like that was on, let's say a Friday night, that Monday, we were like, different human beings in the high school. We we got the we got turned the fuck up. And the reason why I mentioned those girls earlier is because that year then, senior year, at the end of the year, those same girls who wouldn't give my team no burn for like four years, they definitely trying to go to the prom with us. Like girls was hunting Nunzio down. Yo, I could tell a hundred of those stories. This girl was loving Nun so much that she started doing his little sister's hair, right? Like as a favor. And this nigga would come home from track practice and she would just be in the crib already like doing his sister's hair on some, hi, Rashi, like, hi, I just happened to be here. But like that girl a year ago was like giving us the ass to kiss. It was amazing. Anyway, I believe that's part of the, the reason why performing is so much in my blood is you go all the way back to 1989, that talent show, it it was pivotal like in my social development that shit was amazing i appreciate what you're saying that was an amazing story thank you so much for sharing that but it's also interesting that like there is a sense that we can even take from that to apply to like a modern day world you know if you are a joe blow person all you have to do is something incredible and the whole world's gonna find you a little bit more interesting and there are ways that you can pull that off in your life so even with your story and all the fun that came with it, we were still able to find some knowledge nuggets in that because you're just that smart with everything you say. And I appreciate that about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was pivotal. So that, that, that performance aspect mixed with the hip hop was locked in. I mean, we were such daylight heads, like the, their debut album came out in 89. They had dropped singles and everything prior to that. But, but um, my man, Corey cut school to go get us the daylight albums. And he came in the school building and he was holding them up at the end of the hallway. And there was three of us. There was three of them in Dela. We was definitely Dela like heads at the time. So that's cool. That shit was real. All right. So you do the talent show. You guys kill it. I guess you get the bug for performing. You see how the world reacts to you. And if is it, if you're anything like me, it's like drugs. Once you get that taste the first time, it's a high that you have to chase for the rest of your life. And uh so I'm curious to know what happens next after that. So we go to college and I'm saying we, because none is so connected to the story. We actually went to high school together and then went to college together. Um, Rutgers University in New Brunswick. My man, Corey, who was really close to us, he went to Syracuse. Um, my man, Shango went to Rutgers as well. My man, Tim, the next year came to Rutgers, but Rutgers now became like the new stomping ground. We lived on this campus called Livingston. 
it was very much like the minority, like black and Latino campus. We were going like boys to men, you know, I, I, as I mentioned in the suburban wave, I very much was living like a sheltered kind of suburban lifestyle up until that point. And I remember the first night being at Rutgers, my roommate's name is Roger. And we were up talking, it's like two in the morning. And I remember like we were in a co-ed dorm and I remember thinking like, yo, there's women like in this building like we're we're living right now you know i i grew up in an incredibly strict household like you i couldn't have a girl in my room i couldn't have a girl past like the living room you know what i'm saying if anything so learning that we were in a co-ed dorm was crazy and we just i personally went nuts my first year at Rutgers, it was just like sex drugs and rock and roll was the vibe and none was a track star quietly and then again at Rutgers, we did a talent show. We did a, you know, I don't even know if we were rhyming formally at that time or putting rhymes together yet. No, I don't we know. were rhyming. We put a whole show together. It was fantastic. Yeah, I remember we had the <laughs> pretty brown eyes. Yeah, you know. we did the, uh, uh, what was it? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one, but yeah, we used to put the dancing routines were a big part of all of the shows we did. So even if one person was rhyming, everybody else would be dancing or doing something on stage. So it was always something to focus on. We put a lot into the to the to the whole stage performance, but we also went to a huge amount of shows to find that out. So it's like one of the things we used to always tell people is there's no such thing as a bad show. Like they could be a bad show, but even if it's bad, you learn what not to do. You know what I'm saying? When you go to it, Big so it's like, oh, I'm never going to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like that didn't work out. But you, every time you go to a show, you can pick up on something to use as well as something not to do. So it always was good. More yeah. knowledge nuggets from Nunzio, everyone. Yeah, facts right there. Yo, and at, and at this time is where I had like the most freedom, right? So Nun and I, for example, we would get on the train from New Brunswick and we would go to NY and we would go to shows like all the time. And this is even in high school, but in college, we started going even more. We went to a spot called Quando's where we saw early um, Laura Finesse, Brand Nubian, Leaders of the New School, um, poor Righteous Teachers. We saw Tretch, the rapper from Naughty by Nature, when he actually called himself Trench and wore a real trench coat, right? And walked around, had the machete with him too. And we what? saw he all had a machete those... with him? That's a fact. That was one of his trademarks too, is he would keep it in the trench coat. Um, son, so many of those shows. You know what? None was talking about things you learn at shows. So one of those shows we went to see, we saw Poor Righteous Teachers. Poor Righteous Teachers got a lot of love for us. They were five percenters. They had this song called Rock That Fun Rock This Funky Joint, right? They had a bunch of songs, but they were five percenters. They were from Trenton, New Jersey. So we were showing them mad love. And I remember one night, the rapper, um, his name is Wise Intelligent. He's the lead rapper. And he would he was known for rapping fast. Like he would be, oh, check it down this would it, right? He would hit this super fast, like almost chatting flow. And I remember one time we went to see them and his DJ was spinning and then his DJ was like, oh shit, like I'm having problems. Like something's wrong with the turntables. And Wise Intelligent was like, word, something's wrong. What's, what's going on? What's happening with the turntables? He's like, you know what? If the turntable's broken, 
Then I just got to spit it a cappella. And he would like, and started body and shit. Now, because we thought the turntables was broken, the crowd was like, oh shit, like he's still body and shit. He's killing it a cappella. And then they would be like, oh, the turntables was back. And they do a record, right? Yo, went to see them like three months later. And the DJ was like, oh shit, wait, my turntable's not working. My turntable's dumb. Something happened. And he, why is it telling you, oh my God, your turntable's not working. I have to spit an acapella. Yo, and we learned that that was a straight routine that they was doing. You know what I'm saying? We thought it was some, oh shit, like he saved the day because the turntable's broke. It's like, no, that's a fucking skit they would have. And yo, we learned shit like that. Like if you do that in Virginia, you could do that the next night in Seattle. Like, go ahead. Because it hypes the, sh- the, the crowd up. You know what I mean? So that's where we started learning some of them early antics and how to really rock a show you know what i'm saying which i still say to this day is an element that a lot of these rappers don't have yo the ability to rock a show it used to really be something that's a calling card and even some of my favorite rappers yo like i, I don't want to tarnish them but even like nas like a nas show is not like dynamic you know what i'm saying it's like him saying his records but I, you know, when we do shows, we try to be a dynamic force that impacts the audience, engages the audience, and makes it like an experience more than just some guy saying his words on stage. Yo, agree with you with the Nas thing, but where did we see him and we were totally shocked? Like, yo, this is absolutely amazing. Do you remember? I don't know this one, now. Rock the Bells, and who was he with? Damian Marley and we Oh were, yes uh, and they did that photo. thing. Yeah. That's a, a fact. That's a fact. That's a fact. But I still think you're making an excellent point. I mean, just as a person who's gone to a lot of local shows in my life, there is a difference between and I found this out even just doing this locally with my uh, people in my city. There are artists that rent out rooms and practice their shit and they're ready to go and they can pick each other up if somebody fumbles and their shit is tight and they know how to rock the crowd and they practice all the things that they need to do. And then there are people who show up and have flat out told me beforehand, you I haven't even practiced. I'm like, okay, yeah, good luck, my friend. And I don't mean it like disrespectfully. I'm just the kind of person that's going to practice, right? I mean, I felt like the other day I fumbled that verse and I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't practice enough. That was on me. You know, like in the back of my mind, it was a big lesson. And then, you know, you move on. Like Lindsay said, you got to sometimes take a couple of lessons and stuff. But I think what you're saying is huge. Being able to interact with a crowd, being able to work with people is a huge part of what makes it. It makes it. It's what makes a community. One thing I can tell you about end of the week is um, everybody that talks about end of the week speaks of it very highly. Everybody that hears the name has positive feelings of, you know, community attached to it. And I think a huge part of that is what you're describing with this element of the showmanship, making an environment where people feel welcome, where they feel like they're part of something. That's that's for real. And, you know, for years, frankly, that's that's been our claim to fame you know people leave our event and say that you know but even beyond that like dmc or j rue or or talib they leave saying the same thing krs leave saying the same thing there is something about the environment and the community that we've cultivated that lends itself to that it makes people come back to the virtual space you know what i mean mm. we met a girl from uh, montreal like the last couple sundays ago she came in spit a couple bars whatever she came back thursday night she's gang you know what i'm saying yeah. she's in with us now and, and she says she'll this right now well, bless her, yo. That's Sammy C, right? Because Sammy yeah, that's C, who it is. Broke, 
That's it. Because and I, it's it's that thing. It's not. It wasn't any one of us. It wasn't any one bar or any one rhyme. It was that feeling that we were that we give. It's like you're welcome here. This is an ill space. I mean, throughout my tenure as a host of EO Dub, we would have a dude come on and say scientific rhymes about molecules, and then somebody get on and talk about stabbing you in the throat, and then somebody get on and talk about bagging your chick and boning your chick. Like we had every layer of hip-hop you know what i'm saying and it was all welcome it was a unique space like that because in new york you know I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here but so many different places were cultivated like new eurekan poets cafe was almost so like woke and peace that the hard body rappers would not want to go there you don't want to get on the new eurekan stage and be like nigga fuck your bitch and then you know what i'm saying because they'll be like hey guy peace culture vibes here right but then another time there was a guy who had a show on a different night than ours i think his name was mental supreme and mental supreme really curated this hard body shit so you don't want to go to the mental supreme stage with like yo peace knowledge justice equality they'd be like fuck that this is like stab you rap you know what i'm saying but somehow at eo dub we managed to create a space where it was all welcome it was all encompassing so that's well, that's I would just like to argue that you should say is and not was because yeah, I only yeah, discovered yeah. end of the week this year proper shut up basics for that. And so all of my experiences with end of the year are over the zoom in 2020 upon which I've seen you speak a whole bunch like you you're a consistent positive force in that to this very day. So I would just challenge your use of the word was and recommend that the that. word is is very fair for you to state and it would still be facts to this day. And that's a big it's big ups to you and Nunzio and everybody else involved that made this to be what it is today. Because, yo, it's actually respect. really incredible. The more that I, I learn about that. it. I respect that. But now I left you when we were here in college, right? And we're going to yeah. shows and we're rhyming. And we were, I think we formed a crew called Unique Technique, right? And for short, it was UTEC. And UTEC was even like an acronym. Like something, 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 children of harmony, word to God. It was unique technique and it was, we had you tech and we were rhyming. And again, we're very much in like native tongue wave, jungle brothers wave. I think, or even early back then, even more than rhyming about how dope we are, it was always some kind of conscious shit, you know? Um, I've joked that over the years, me and none have gone into the studio and even consciously been like yo let's make a party record let's make a fun record let's just make a a jokey record and within 10 minutes it's like yo marcus garvey harriet tubman and scientific methods you know what i'm saying it's like it's always like that so for, you know probably like 15 or so years ago i just gave up the ghost and i'm like i am a conscious rapper but in college we were still kind of honing those skills and we were learning to rap we were learning to connect with each other and then ultimately it landed on a big group of us calling ourselves Solid Ground, right? Mm. And Solid Ground at one point consisted of my man, Doug, who was also an engineer working for Puffy at the time, as was none. None was in it, myself. I would put my brother Cap T in it. His name was Troy. Another brother named True Messiah was in it. And another brother named Shango, also known as World was in it. So they, I would say there's six of us. I'm looking across the, my room at a picture of the six of us. And that's like solid ground. And that was a group 
that we were rhyming and working together for many years. I mean, living with each other, you know, I think it's worth telling you about this one piece. At one point, Nunzio, Doug, Shango, and Troy lived in this space called the warehouse, right? It was a dynamic time for some young men because they actually got a place that had no downstairs neighbor, no upstairs neighbor, no left or right neighbor. The apartment was just on top of a warehouse. The apartment was like a freaking three bedroom, four bedroom, um, huge, beautiful. And the rooftop of the warehouse, like 65% of the top of the building made up their crib and the other, you know, 35% made up a rooftop. So we had an outdoor rooftop, barbecues, parties, like that was a whole era in my life was the warehouse. Um, we were young men, we were free, we were making money, we were out of college. I had started teaching at the time. Um, I had my own apartment. I had a, a little studio like 20 minutes from there. And this is where a lot of the early solid groundwork was developed in that place called the warehouse. That was like a whole era in my life. And um, Rashid, Doug, Troy, Shango, and True Messiah were part of my favorite comment we got so far is from Algo Ceres, who just said, gorgeous way to say rowdy as fuck, by the way. And I yes, love that. Yes, because yes. That's, that's basically that's, what you did. Oh, my gracious. I mean, if y'all can imagine the, 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 the debauchery that took place in this <laughs> environment, it was that era, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it was so unique because we were first getting money, you know, and then we also had this taste of, the other side, because Rashid and Doug are working for Diddy, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, once a <laughs> month, we might we might be at a fucking white party in the Hamptons. It, it, it was a unique time, yo, in our lives. And it was this freedom to... Uh, you know what, Zoo? Can you elaborate on, on that, like on white parties, right? Like yeah. uh, Holden, I don't think Holden necessarily... I have um, a big idea. The vague idea but you know puffy and yeah. white parties is kind of a synonymous thing and that's the reason zeus says it so casually but it's a thing it, it is be a, thing. a little bit more well you know what's interesting about white parties and this is and i'll tell you from a person who's attended white parties and who's balked at going to them is traditionally when someone invites you to a white party you have to go shopping right you have to go get an outfit because Diddy is very strict in the white party shit. You can't show up in brown or blue or gray because they will put you out. You have to be dressed. In the, and they like to say, I mean, my wife and I have attended one now more she-she where they were like uninterrupted white. Or it was one of our daughters. Like the invite literally said they had to wear uninterrupted white so as to keep people from wearing like a white shirt and black pants. You know what I'm saying? They're like, no. You have to be head to toe in white. So A, Diddy was kind of pushing you to get fresh by even inviting you, right? I would never say there was an invite that said Chris Finn could come or Big Zoo could come, right? It was really because I knew Nunn and Doug that I could even go out there. So white parties were dope because of this reason. And this maybe this is culturally or whatever, but I want to share with you all. When you have a photographer take pictures at a white party with people of color, the pictures look dynamic. 
right? They really do. There's something to that. There's something about different shades of people of color being all dressed in white. The pictures actually, you know, I heard Diddy talk about it one time and he talked about capturing the images from a white party, which is one of the reasons he did it. And I get it. It, it They are fly. It looks fucking fly. But we went to a white party in the Hamptons, you know what I'm saying? And this is at, at Diddy's crib that was out there and it was the, the height of opulence. You know what I'm saying? It was like we had to park down the road. We had to be checked in. You know, it's it was schmancy at a at a fucking level I hadn't seen before. So being able to take a glimpse over the fence, like into super wealth, I think also was like an inspiration maybe or a driving force for some of us early in the rap shit. I can totally appreciate that a lot. I mean, I'm a little bit just sitting here going down man like to be at one of those parties i know y'all can't really go into the details but just the memories i can picture that you would get being in that environment because this is pre-internet and i see what gets captured on camera so i can only imagine what y'all would have been up to when there was no camera that must have been nuts well i think it was you know around before the internet it was this kind of vibe like if you're here, be happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? Or like, be bl- you're blessed to be in this space. So don't act goofy. Like, don't run up to Shaka Khan and like ask, can she sing a song for you? Or like, don't go run over to, you know, Sade and ask to take a picture. But there would be people like that at the parties. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It would be movie stars, super sports figures, and then every rap or music mogul. You know what I mean? So I think it also trained us to be a little calm in those situations, maybe. That's crazy. Thank you for sharing that for real, though. That's fucking cool. Um, Even just the idea that you had to buy an outfit. I mean, that's like a, an interesting idea for me because, like, you know, I'm learning a lot about how important fashion is and how important it is to look fly and to, like, present yourself in the best possible light and a lot of reasons why that is. So, like, just to hear you, like, bring that up, it's, like, it's always on the forefront of so many people's minds. And I think that's just so interesting in, in and of itself. So, but, yeah, um, were you always into fashion? Were you always into dressing fly? I think I was. I was, yeah, I'm going to say yes, shit, yes. I was always trying to get fresh. I mean, I got the low one now, which is, like, standard, but... um I was, yo. Damn, as I unpack it. I mean, I got to be honest. We, I joke about this with my wife and, and my friends and shit. It's like some of us have that get fresh gene in us, right? It's like it's almost like a sickness. And it's interesting because, like, I have it, but my wife doesn't have it. And my oldest daughter does have it, but my youngest daughter doesn't have it. You know what I'm saying? My oldest daughter wants to get fresh. She wants the Jordan 4s. You know, she wants the the... the the pine green ones. Like I have a skit with her on my album asking me for the pine, you know, if she could cop the pine green ones. That's a true story. Upstairs in my daughter's on her shelf are the pine green ones. Like she really, she gets fresh, you know what I'm saying? We get fresh. I know like my man, Olivier, he has it. Like none rides the fence. He could, he don't really care that much about it. Pro doesn't care that much about it. Um, James doesn't. And it's not that they don't dress fresh or look nice, but it's almost like a sickness that they don't have. You know, they don't. They're not driven by it. Like 
Pro will pull no, up. I got that. I don't have that sickness, yeah. man. I honestly sometimes have to go, shit, did I already wear this hoodie this week? Because people apparently pay attention if you're wearing the same shit day to day. So I'm like, yeah. oh, fuck. Now I'm like thinking about this stuff. Like, okay, so if other people are paying attention, I got to pay attention. And so it's yeah. interesting that you say it because I totally don't have My girlfriend, she understands this shit way better than I do. So she she tells me if I look stupid or whatever. So I, I just none, trust none does None does have one of us. That's religion. It is, man, and I I got it. And um my man O was in the comments saying uh the driplomats, drip set. But it's it is. It's like and sometimes I have to say, now I'm gonna be really frank here, is that during this pandemic, I definitely walked into my closet a couple days and and almost like shamed myself. Like, what the fuck am I doing with all of this polo clothing? Like, what am I doing? Because during the pandemic, you know what I'm saying, I'm wearing like four pairs of sweatpants and like three hoodies for like three months. You know what I'm saying? I was just <laughs> rotating. So there is a um, negative side to it. It's it's you could argue it's it's egotistic or it's very. Uh, like, so I had I heard this really. Flesh. I heard like yeah, one re- really interesting idea for the idea of like fashion, especially with the with certain environments, and I think it was. When I was talking to Bones Brigante, and it had to do with the idea that in an environment where wealth distribution doesn't allow you to acquire wealth, fashion is all you got. And it okay, like that's a, a that's a glass that's a glass um, half full way of looking at it. But let me flip it for you in the in the in the in maybe the people of color community. It's also the negative piece is that when we don't we don't have money or we don't have wealth, but we're gonna make it look like we do. Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to look like we're as fly as possible. I remember when the Lincoln Navigator was the big truck. This is like late 90s. And I remember dudes living in the peas and got a fucking Lincoln Navigator. Like he's living in the projects and got a Lincoln Navigator. Like his his car is worth more than his rent for like a year. You know what I'm saying? Like we have our priorities mixed up sometimes in, in our community is that before we'll buy a house, we'll buy a Ferrari. You know what I'm saying? Before we'll we'll put away money for our child's college tuition, we'll buy them a fucking like diamond pacifier. You know what I'm saying? So you could also argue that we spend money improperly. But but again, that's not that's not where I want to go. What I want to go is my particular drip is around the polo Ralph Lauren or Ralph Lauren shit, right? And that's something that's unique to me. I talk about it in my song on my album. I talk about it on the song called Sauce It Up. Yeah. But in essence, the science behind polo for me is very unique. A, I'm not rocking polo to be on some like I'm shitting on y'all because I have polo. Because if we keep it a buck, polo is not the super high level brand. It's not Louis. It's not Gucci. It doesn't cost like to that level. It's not Prada. Right. But for me, it's because in the era when I grew up, I watched the low lives in Brooklyn literally go rob stores of polo. You know what I'm saying? They were they were. Jack and Polo, they're stealing it and they boosting throughout the, the, the world. And frankly, it was to me, it was almost like taking this very like shiny thing and stealing it back and making it ours. Right. Mm. The polo ads you see look very prestigious with old white guys riding horses on a 75,000 acre lawn. Right. But we're stealing that same hoodie and wearing it to Barclays Center, burning an L. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like the idea of kind of the reverse gentrification of the polo shit. That's what I call it. Y'all think it's this high end, like, brand for people who play polo. 
I'm using it as a brand for people who make beats and put L's up and and make music. You know, what I mean? you know, it's crazy. Dude, you want to because you like, want to elaborate on the low lives because nobody's ever talked about the low lives on the show before. I don't know what the low lives are. Okay, so Polo, as you see, is the is the brand. And they took the last two letters, right, the low, and called themselves the low lives. And it's a group of people um, out of Brooklyn. Some, I'm hearing some feedback from somebody. Somebody got to go on mute. So they, they would literally boost from stores. And boosting is the word for shoplifting, right? So um, they would do it in a very unique way, though, in that, you would see teams of dudes like going like 12, 15, 20 deep. And they would go to a store in the middle of Midtown Manhattan, like a Macy's. And this wasn't the very discreet, like I'm going to go in and try to slip some socks into my pocketbook and sneak out. This was like 20 dudes running in and literally racking, you know, because they're taking a whole rack of clothing and they're running out of the store with it. And their idea was kind of like, you're not going to catch us all, right? And frankly, we're going to grab so many items that even if we drop six items, we still going to leave with 20 some odd items. And number one, they would rock it a lot of times. And number two, they go back to the hood and they sell it. So it became this, um, this movement, you know, and um, it's famous known. Uh, some of the famous low lives, of course, are Thurston Howell the third and rack low and sun low and I mean, there's so many dudes out there. I don't want to discredit them, but frankly, the low lives is a real powerful movement, and that's what attracted me to Polo. You're gonna hear about this actually tomorrow, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. There's a show. Um, we're calling it EO Low, and it's taking place at 7 p.m. and it's hosted by my man Olivier, also known as the Dubcovist. He's gonna be hosting a show on Sunday night at 7 p.m. Tomorrow night is the 10th, right? So January 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And it's going to be about polo and like our love and admiration for it. And a lot of what I just shared is what turned me on to it so much. So I'm not stunting like Gucci belt, Prada this. I'm I'm a low head, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm it is like a religion yeah, and I like to get fresh with it. But super interesting. By the way, guys. There's a um there's a documentary that you can all check out called Very Ralph on HBO. So if you have HBO Max, you can check it out. And in that documentary, Thurston Howell the Third is featured because yep. Ralph Lauren requested him personally. You know what I mean? And that goes to show you the impact that the low lives had on the brand of Ralph Lauren. That's a fact. The picture with, with um, Thurston Howell and Ralph is like the grail, the holy grail picture. But this book too, yo, this is a book that Thurston put out. This shit is called Bury Me With The Low One. This yo. book is insane. It captures um, mad people's collections. Elder Sensei's in here, Just Blaze is in here, Thurston Howell's in here, of course. It chronicles like the history of the low lives. And it's people's collections in here. Dallas Penn is in here. Dallas Penn is the guy that Vanguard bought the coat off of to give me recently. Uh. So for everybody who know that Van got me a polo coat for Christmas, he bought it off of Dallas Penn, wow. who's featured in this book. So, so many connections. 
that, that's nuts. You just pulled a book out and dropped history. You know what? Like, I just, I'm just, it's crazy. Like, what's crazy is I often have stared at the polo uh, logo, right? And I'm wondered, why is it this guy playing polo, right? Because I'm going to be real with you. I know it might be kind of a, a silly thing, but I've never actually considered that that's where the brand started. I've only ever seen rappers really talking about polo. I've only ever really seen it associated with hip hop. And to my knowledge, it's mostly a hip hop brand. So as you share this with me, I'm like, yo, I guess that makes a lot of sense. So it almost shows the success of the campaign that you all went on. Because frankly, that's how I feel about polo. Like, yo, it's a rapper thing, you know, like it's a hip hop thing. Well, maybe that's good. We, we, we cracked the cell casing then. Because if you look at it like that, I mean, in America, it was this kind of leisure brand, you know, like a luxury sport brand. And even within, Ralph Lauren has levels, right? There's there's black label, there's there's other labels within the, the polo world that are even more expensive and prestigious. But um, yeah, I would say that's where my love for polo came in. That's that's so cool. I, um. If it's all right with you, if I can just take two minutes, I gotta use the washroom real quick, and yes, then sir. we can continue. Uh, and if you want, I don't know if somebody else wants to talk in the meantime, it's okay too. But I'll be right back. I wanna um, zoo. Well, two things. First of all, I wanna say thank you because zoo be hooking me up with the low, like on occasions, you know, birthday, Christmas, etc., so on, so forth. Cool. And literally every time I go out on a date. The first thing I do is look at the zoo section of gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, date night outfits. I like yeah, that. Can't go wrong with this. You know what I'm saying? And it's comfortable. But on top of that, uh, I want to shout out um, Olivier, the, the, the dub Kavis, because tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, he's going to go in on the whole low uh, errors and all of that. Uh, it's going to be a great show, and he's definitely going to be digging uh, with Ezra uh, about the low and all that. So I know Zoo going to be there. We're going to probably get to see uh, some exclusives. That I do. Yeah, I'm in the basement. I brought some downstairs tonight. Eileen will tell you. I brought yeah. some to the basement tonight, so I'll be ready for tomorrow. Yeah, I got a, I got yeah, a couple big, of, big facts, though. I got a <laughs> couple of childhood it. homies. To, to come that are gonna come and 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 rep like young. I'm talking like second grade, third grade homies. Wow, all that's homies. so dope, yo. All lower holics. <laughs> but if we if we talking about like hip hop and the intersection with low and hip hop and, and and clothing and culture and whatnot, you can't forget Grand Pooba. You know what I mean? And I, oh, I think God. you know. Yeah, on MTV raps right. on MTV raps with Mary J. Blige with the rugby on. Crazy. But Grand Poobah, That's Grand Poobah kind of, kind of, you know, like, like not, not even to detract from what you're saying, Ben, because you're absolutely right, right? But he also kind of, because he also blew up Tommy, it felt like, you know, like, is it that he's a super low head? You know what I mean? Like, he nah, just blows he's, up all he's, the he's more, say, he's, more, he's more synonymous with Tommy. That he's more yeah. synonymous with Tommy. I agree, Flacco. And it's like, well, he, he eventually got a deal with Tommy. So then it was exclusive that that's what he was paid to wear. But yeah. ultimately, um, that one outfit, literally, that's a grill piece. They've made pieces like it. Um, I have one similar. But the long sleeve rugby he wore on MTV Raps with um, Mary. It might have been one of those that said, like, Alpine or Klein. Mm -hmm. in those yeah, it was the Alpine joint. And, What's a and, rugby? And, Oh, rugby is like a, a three, like a polo shirt, three, the three button collar joint. 
um, but the thicker the thicker joints would be considered a rugby. Uh, heavy, yeah, heavier weight. Uh, literally a heavier weight shirt used for the for the use of playing the, ru- the, the game. Sport of rugby. I was gonna yeah. say it's, it has to do with the game rugby actually it does, yeah, too. Because they and play in the inclement weather. It's like a like a hockey jersey, right? That's the closest correlation we could probably give it. Okay, I would say the everything. fabric is different, and it has a collar. Like- yeah, you no, mentioned that on totally your album, different. I think, in the same Sauce It Up track, you mentioned. I'm like, what the fuck's a yeah. rugby? I'm I say like, uh, probably like a heavy, keep, a heavy, heavy polo. Keep exotic logo, keep exotic logos on my rugby. I'm not gonna show you tonight. I'm gonna save it for for old show tomorrow. But I got some rugby's with some logos that y'all never seen. It's like the regular horse logo to me. It's classic. I mean, I got on a regular old school small horse now. I remember when they went to big horses, I got turned off for a minute because it was too like gratuitous. But I have some of those pieces too. But I like I like either super subtle invisible logos. Like the coat that Van got me, it's a black on it's a black on black coat, and the logo is in black. So it's like black mm-hmm. on black, so it's like kind of hidden. Or I like exotic rugby's where I see patches and things that I don't see other people with. We going too deep down the low um, avenue. Nah, but, gotta... but, I mean, look, I I was gonna definitely try to steer you back at this point either way. But yo, even yeah. everything you just shared is really cool in my opinion. Like a lot, everything you said was like, it was interesting. Um, it was interesting to hear just even the style choices, the subtlety. Like there's an, there's a class to that, in my opinion, and I agree with you. And the big uh, the big polos came. It was a little bit much, right? Like it wasn't just like this. It was like, yo, you are trying too hard. Is what yeah, it feel man. like when it's somebody's like two wearing in your it. face. And so, a lot of people of color. I mean, last thing I'll say about that is we all, they they say it oftentimes in the fashion world that that's for us. Like we go for the big dookie logos. You know what I'm saying? We go for the you see the um, Soldier Boy interview with the Gucci head headband. That's like Gucci. It's like we really want you to see what we have. My mm-hmm. shit is a little different. I like to be a little more discreet. But anyway, I digress. Your uh, next I question. That. It's share. a high class thing. So let's go back then. You're in college. Uh, the last thing we were at with your story, we're at the warehouse, um, and you're having wild times. You were eloquently describing rowdiness. Uh, music is being made. Nunzio confirmed that at this time you guys are active with your stuff. A bunch of things are going on. So I guess you're like, a, you know, about 20-ish at this time. Uh, maybe older. I don't I mean, know. A little older. I, you know, the ages. I mean, I'm an older dude, but the ages like blur to where we were at the time. But I'll tell you what was happening is that, frankly, this is all pivotal, too, because none and I were getting a lot more by the way the solid ground as many levels as it was somehow it also boiled back to just nunzio and nunzio and i being solid ground so i have a song back in the day where i talked about how solid ground was really big and then it boiled it started with me and none and it went back to me and none but we're now performing in ny we're trying to get shows we're trying to get booked everywhere we're doing showcases we're doing um open mics we're doing anything we can to rhyme you know what I mean? And I remember we were so hungry to rhyme. I, you know, as years passed and I hosted EO Dub for many years, you know, there would be a, there would be nights where it gets super late, like two in the morning, and there would only be like one person in the audience, but one other person wanted to rhyme. 
And when they want to rhyme, part of me, maybe it was my ego, but part of me would be like, why do you want to just rhyme for this one person? Like, you might as well just rhyme at your crib. Like, the show's over. But I remember I was that dude, yo. I was the dude who wanted to rhyme just I don't care. If it was one person, no people, if they would put us on. And we went to this spot one time called Black Lily. Black Lily was a um, show that was from Philadelphia, and they would come up every Sunday night and do this show at a club called the Wetlands. Wetlands is closed now, but a dope club way down downtown. And frankly, this was a show that Quest Love would run. You would see early um, Joe Scott, Badu, Jaguar, that group Kindred, and this group called Jazzy Fat Nasties, which was two young ladies. And Jazzy Fat Nasties would host Black Lily. Now, at the time, Nunn and I didn't know that it was a female-dominated show. They wanted <laughs> women to um, perform. We just heard it was the shit, and when we walked in, it was super groovy. I think, fuck around, I think Black Thought was on the stage. I mean, he had carte blanche, of course, but I remember when he... he I got you on that, Van, where he was on stage, but we went to sign the list. We went up and signed the list, and the girl was going through list after list, and we were noticing it was only women coming up on stage. And we was like, oh, shit, maybe this is just for women. We didn't know. She got to our name, and we started walking towards the stage, and she destroyed us verbally, like, from the stage. She was like, oh, these motherfuckers think that they're going to come up here. This is a woman open mic, and we did it, like, shitted on us. Like, spotlight was on us in the crowd, and she was like, how dare you try to you know, OD on the female open mic. We felt like shit. We walked back. I felt grimy. But, yo, I was still that fucking dude who wanted to rhyme so bad in front of this crowd. Don't you know I went back to that young lady, spoke to her, apologized. We didn't know this, that, and the other. She spoke to me. This is, speaks kind of to my character and, like, the responsible mom, like Liddy, like um, Flacco said. Yo, she was like, I'll see, right? The show went on and on and on. It got to be like two in the morning. And she came out and she was like, you know what? I want to say something to this crowd. You know, earlier there were these two dudes and they tried to come up here and I thought they were being disrespectful. But this man was such a gentleman. This He was such he was so warm and thoughtful or whatever. We're going to let them come on and rock right now. Ladies and gentlemen, solid ground. And we got to spit that night, right? Again, there was a sparse crowd. But it speaks to A, how hungry I was to get on the mic like at any time and be to the responsible mom in me <laughs> that was like, listen, we didn't mean that. No disrespect to black womanhood. Like we just want to rock. And as a result, it got us on stage. That's a true story. And Yo, that's like a huge thing that you just said, right? Because look, there's a lot of people right now struggling with the adjusting social climate. Like somehow it's hard to be respectful all of a sudden. I personally get where you're coming from. I find it highly advantageous to live in the way that you just described. And what you just shared is how by being humble, by owning your mistake, showing a sense of self-awareness to the situation, and by approaching the person respectfully to explain the misunderstanding, right? Because it was a misunderstanding and you explained it. You explained your end respectfully. At the end of the day, good things happen out of that situation because of your attitude and how you approached it. Now, you look at a lot of people in the world of Twitters and everybody's angry and stuff. But if more people were to approach situations the way that you approached that yeah, situation where misunderstandings happen, there'd be a whole lot less Facebook beefs and a whole lot less arguments, a whole lot less things going on. 
So I really appreciate you sharing that too. That's I would huge. Agree. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Well, in that in that vein, right, to continue, and this this connects, and Van um asked me to share this story, and this is also a true story. Is that in this time we're going to these clubs in New York and we're performing. And now it has boiled down to just Nunzio and myself, and we are called Solid Ground. And we have a cadre of, of songs, bless you. We have a group of songs that we're performing that we're trying to fine tune and do that we have together. We think some really strong music, some of which later turned into our first EP, which is called Strategy God. But we had some of these songs cooking, right? We're going to these clubs in um, downtown Manhattan. Sometimes we're hanging at a bar called Bob's, which we used to rock out. Stretch Armstrong would spin there. Bobito used to spin there. And we were performing at a spot called Spiral. And Spiral had a DJ named Joey Ty, right? And had this other group that kept performing that were really good called Eye to Eye, right? And Eye to Eye consisted of Vice, Pro, and Ego Trip. And I can't front, I mean, for me, I wonder really, we have to ask them how they looked at it. But it really, for me, it was like super rivalry. You know what I'm saying? Not to the point where Solid Ground hated eye to eye, but I definitely saw them as a threat. Like I saw them like, yo, who the fuck are these dudes? You know what I'm saying? Like that was really the type energy. It'd be interesting to hear what Vice would have or what Pro or Eagle Trip would say. But that was my initial reaction was like, you know what I'm saying? They they kind of nice, but yo, they not John Blaze like our shit. You know what I'm saying? We got more John Blaze shit. That's what I was on in my mind. Very competitive. And I remember times getting on before them and, and watching their reaction to us and getting on after them and watching them and watching their stage show. And they just were so energetic. It had so much adrenaline. And I don't even know if we were speaking to them yet. We still would kind of give them eyes like, mm, like these niggas. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. You know what I'm saying? As we would pass each other in the club. But the one thing that's interesting is the DJ for the night, Joey Ty, he knew both crews, right? He knew both of us. So now put that on the shelf in your mind, right? Early on in the year 2000, I got married, right? I just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. Yo, congratulations. Yeah, salute. That is pretty huge. Uh, and here I am getting married, right? And this is how ill the story is. I get married. Who was the DJ at my wedding? Joey Ty. That's a fact. It's legendary. So Joey came to South Jersey to DJ at my wedding. He was like my favorite club DJ in New York. And I was almost like, oh, my God, I can't believe I could get him to spin at my record. Fun fact, the hot record at the time, y'all, that I was like, you got to play this, you got to play this, Joey, was um, doom, 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 doom. It was that shine record. And I had like specifically was like, hold this record for this part of the night because it goes hard. Anyway, um, Joey Ty was the DJ at my wedding. Spoke to Joey Ty, paid him that night. I'll never forget. It was dope. He bodied it. And Eileen and I, my wife and I went on our honeymoon. We are on the beach in Cancun and we're talking about like our lives back at home. And I've often said this to people that sometimes when you are on vacation, it's almost like you can look at your home life like objectively. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're away from it. You're out of it. So you can almost see it clearer because you're looking at it from the outside in. So we're on the beach and I literally am saying to Eileen, like, listen, when we give people our CD and stuff and give people our music and like our cassette tape at this point, we're not getting a good response, right? 
But when they see us live at shows, they loving us. You know what I'm saying? When we perform, people are like, yo, your shit is dope. They're coming up after the show. They're super hype. But when we just give them the CD, we don't even hear nothing back. We're not getting a lot of love. So I said, you know what? When I get home, anybody that offers me a show, and even at this point, I was like, if they could offer Solid Ground or Big Zoo, I'm going to take it. Anything, anybody that offers me a show, I'm going to take it. And, yo, we go back home, and on the answering machine, when literally had an answering machine, so this is how old it was, but on the answering machine, um, Joey Ty was like, yo, Zoo, I got this opportunity for you to rock. It's on a Sunday night. I want you to host, you as Solid Ground, the host, with Eye to Eye. I want to put y'all together, and I think together you'd be dope hosting. So it was really Joey Ty's idea. So in my mind, I'm already like, oh, these eye to eye niggas, but they are dope. But that's kind of like rivalry. Like, let's see how it goes down. I even agree to go to the night, but I'm going like tentatively. We right, go right. there that first night <laughs> and it becomes fucking EO dub, yo. We go the very first night and Joey Ty can't come. We we find out later that Joey Ty was sick. He hit he had cancer and he quickly passed away. So we call this, you know, up until the 20th year, we called it the living legacy of Joey Ty. And now, in essence, it's the living legacy of Vice Versus, right? It's almost like past torches in an ill, like, Jedi way. In 20 years, it was Joey Ty's legacy. But now, forever, fourth, we'll say Vice Versus, you know? But um, Joey Ty couldn't come. Vice, fuck around, had the number to this DJ. He's like, I'm going to see if I could get this DJ to come. He got Scram Jones to come, and that shit was fucking magic. I, I like as I think about it now, like literally from the very first night, yo, the shit was like, oh shit, like we're dope together. Like you sound dope, you sound dope, you like we're all dope together. And with Scram Jones spinning, that shit was incredible, man. And that was the first, very first night of EO Dub. That was like August 20-something in the year 2000. That's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, Even when I tell it now, I'm like impacted again by it, right? But it's cool that you came from that and then that you guys were able to make that energy happen. Why don't you just for the people who are going to watch this then talk a little bit about what EOW is, right? It seems like an appropriate time because I know like – the people that you know and everybody on that side are going to know it. But down the line, somebody might stumble across this on the internet one day. So you should, you know, it'd be a good opportunity to explain it from one of the founding members himself. <clears throat> so EOW. EOW is end of the week. That's end of the W-E-A-K. And it's really end of the week minds, end of the week spirits, end of the week lyrics, right? That's the tagline. But it started, you know, in its inception, it started as a place for us to come and sharpen our swords with each other, meaning solid ground and eye to eye. And those early people were vice versus prolific one, Ego Trip, Nunzio, Big Zoo, Scram Jones, James Calhoun were the first people on the island, if you will, right? And that was the core group at the very beginning. James will tell you he wasn't even at the very first one. He wasn't a believer yet. He wasn't a believer. until He was managing Vice at the time. And um, Vice had to tell him, yo, this shit is crack. And then he, he, he came to the fold. But 
it what started as a place for us to sharpen our swords and a place for us to just get loose with this free hip-hop expression in a little back room in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, it grew then into a space where all MCs from all different um, genres could come and get busy and sharpen their swords as well. Then grew into the longest weekly running open mic in New York City's history. Then grew into the, the place where you could go join this uh, competition called the MC Challenge, which then grew into an international hip hop movement, right? The, if those are the benchmarks. And now we're even in a in a digital space. You know what I'm saying? We 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 took the dream digital, as Pro says on a song recently that's not out yet. But we took the dream digital. Is now is a different phase. Is we're in this virtual space anyway. So EOW is many things. That's a hard hard to answer in one sentence. But I would say in its in its its pillars are end of the week minds, end of the week spirits, end of the week lyrics. That's really cool. So let's go back to your story then. So you're doing the beginning and end of the week. Yeah, man. Here's an interesting one. And this is one piece I wanted to just capture here for posterity because of how I feel about it. And, I, you know, I I have the bandwidth until like 8 p.m. So I'll I'll give you as much as I can, right? But simultaneously, while EOW is first, like we have two sticks rubbing together to try to make um, make this, this happen. I'm I'm known now in the underground a little bit for being a good freestyle MC. And I'm really close to an MC by the name of Breeze Everflowing, right? Who was just on the open mic a couple of weeks ago, still my friend to this day, pivotal person in in um New York City hip hop underground to be exact. And really for people who are watching this, I could I would do his resume a disservice. So you really should Google Breeze Everflowing. But I'm friends with this gentleman. And Breeze tells me that there's a show on MTV that's starting. It's called Direct Effect, right? And on this Direct Effect show, they're trying to mix this in where there's going to be videos. There are going to be live interviews with rappers and R&B people. But they're also going to do these rap battles on the show, right? The rap battles in New York had become really popular at the time. There were the Breeze battles, a bunch of other battles. And... We ha- I had battled before too, right? I'd been in the battle circuit like a little bit, but it really wasn't my um, cup of tea. But now Breeze says, I want you to come on MTV and do this shit. I want you to audition for this MTV show. So now I'm down. This is a true story. We go meet outside like three blocks from the MTV offices. Like if the interview's at three, Breeze has asked us all to meet at two. So I start pulling up. I see MCs I know like PAC-FM. I forget other people that were there. Subconscious was there. A lot of MCs that I know were there. And Breeze brings us all together. It looked like a, a, a scene out of the movie The Warriors. And he's basically like, listen, <laughs> I, brought, I brought y'all together to audition for this MTV shit. They trust my voice. So I, you're all the ones I brought. I think you could do a great job. Like, do your best. I don't have any more details besides that. But I want y'all to try out for this show. So we all, like 18 of us, like go walk towards the the MTV offices. And we see there's already starting to be a line. So we get online and then other people pull up who we don't know. And now there's like a lot of people to audition for this show. I'm maybe like 22nd person or something in line. Yo, Breeze comes back to get me and walks me to the front of the line and walks me directly up to the front dude and was like, yo, this guy got to go in. Like literally brings me to the front of the line. It's a true story. It's amazing. I go inside. 
and Breeze is like, they, they test us. They ask us to freestyle about something in the room or whatever. Clearly, I body it, right? I'm like, I do it my regular thing, but like, I'm already sharp from doing a few weeks at EO Dub. So I'm like this, rhyming. I leave there even feeling like if they don't pick me, like the earth is not real. Like I just body that shit. You know what I'm saying? I tell Breeze I leave. They pick me. I go to the show, son, and I win five weeks in a row. Right? I battled Penn, um, a bunch of different people on there. And frankly, my if you go back and look at the show, you'll see this is that very much in the spirit of EO Dub, in the battles, I don't really shit on anybody. I'm even, even to Flacco's point, I'm even being a fucking responsible mom in the year 2000 on direct effect. I win by doing like crowd shit. You know what I'm saying? So um, I win the shows by being like, yo, in the front row, what you doing? You know, like I was killing shit like that. Anyway, I win five weeks in a row. I met Ghostface. I got the Ghostface, um, the Wu-Tang sign Wallabies. The, working on that show was interesting because, uh, you know, I was around a lot of top-tier rappers and I got to build with them. I forget who else we might have met. None was with me every time. Um, Funkmaster Flex. Oh, God. Oh, shit. Uh, no, <laughs> it wasn't the greatest, but we met him there. I think Music Soul Child was one of the judges one time, if I'm not mistaken. There's somebody that sings, though, that we really liked. But Zoo used to always freestyle about the judges that were there, too. And the best one is the is the Ghostface one. Ghostface one, yep. Because we literally bumped into him in the bathroom. In the bathroom. That's a factual story. Before the show started, we went to the bathroom, and Ghostface is in the bathroom, kid. For me, meeting Ghostface is like meeting Michael Jackson, my G. So I had to keep my shit, like, I genuinely was like, yo, chill, Zoo, don't, like, bug out, because this nigga's in the bathroom, and, like, don't act like a weirdo. But I'm like a Ghostface, <laughs> I'm like a Ghostface stan, you know what I'm saying? So I see Ghost in the, in the bathroom, and I say something about whatever new album he had out right now. He was like, oh, word, you heard that? And it was some shit like super crack level, high level ghost face crack shit that like probably people ain't heard. And he definitely was like, oh, you heard that guy? Like, peace, big me up, boom, whatever. Went out. He was one of the judges. Went out there, did the show. And they actually, it was him that they passed the mic to to ask who won. And he was definitely like, yo, I'm going I'm to go with my man in the red right there. And I definitely, that was me and body that night. Anyway. The reason I'm even telling you this story is to get to this, right? So finally, I, I lose on the, the fifth night of um of the direct effect battles. And who do I lose to? Breeze Everflowing, who actually was the person who brought me on the show and walked me to the front of the line. And interestingly enough, Breeze beat me by using the same technique that I had used throughout the other challenges. Like I told you, I wouldn't really shit on the other rappers. I would talk about other stuff and I would big up the um, the judges. Yo, Breeze even started his rhyme by like bigging me up. He was on something like, yo, you gotta respect Zoo cause he won so many weeks, but he's like, you know, now I'm a dude such and, such and like body shit. He like gently escorted me the fuck up out of there with that. But it was so serendipitous because he was the one who put me on, right? As we walk out of this place, the woman comes rushing up to us from the production um, desk. And she's like, oh, my God, um, Def Jam office is just called. Lior Cohen's office just called. Lior wants to see you right now. Lior wants to see you. Now, again, for your audience and even for you, 
you don't know who. I'm like, who's yeah. Lior Cohen? So Lior Cohen at the time was running Def Jam. Lior Cohen is known for working with Kevin Lyles, for working with Russell Simmons. He he really did. If you follow his story, he really did do his work, right? He 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 was a road manager for like the Beastie Boys. Like he he okay. was been around. He's been around since that long. But he's also been known to be like the culture vulture, right? He's an Israeli. He's an Israeli dude who really has made all his money off of black culture. Hence, um, Def Jam. Then he moved on to like Arista, and now I think he's like one of the YouTube owners or some shit. Like he's he's a Ballerific dude, but his name is um, his name is uh, damn, I'm forgetting his name that quick. Who Leor Cohen? Leor, Leor. Sorry, it's Leor. I'm thinking about everybody who Leor work with, and I'm not thinking about him. So me and Nun leave the MTV studios that night to go have a meeting with Leor Cohen. Right? We get out of the MTV studios. Yo, I call my wife. I call my wife like, yo, Def Jam just called us. Like, it's a wrap. We on. Like, Def Jam, I'm going to Def Jam like right now. I'm walking to Def Jam. I remember I called my producer, Doug. I called Doug like, yo, D, it's a wrap. Like, we going to Def Jam. Like, they just called us. We, we it's, it's a wrap. We walk upstairs in Def Jam. We walk, I remember seeing the LL Cool J, the Method Man, Plax. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, in awe. And I go and meet Leor Cohen. And we sit down, we're talking. He's trying to gas me up early. He's like, you know, it's a, I don't know how I don't know about you already. Like, you're the shit. I hear you're the shit. Like, you're killing it on MTV. This like, I'm ashamed that I don't even know about you already. I'm mad at my people that I don't know about you. Like, you're the shit. Gassing me early. But we played him some music. And I always think back to this moment because I wonder what would happen if we had not played him music. But we played him our music. And you know, what does me and Nun's music sound like? We're like Jungle Brothers, De La Soul, like like Dead Prez. You know what I'm saying? Our music is like culture vibes. And it's there's a positive conscious element to it. And I remember he played a couple of records and he stopped it. And he was not at all in love with the conscious hip hop, right? Mm. And I'll never forget one of the quotes he said to me. He said, or to us, Nun is right there with me. He said... We don't sell music. He said, this is Def Jam. We don't sell music. We sell beer to college kids. And I remember thinking like, wow, you know, I mean, years later, you think about it, their music, it was DMX and Redman and Method Man. And it was this aggressive like party music. You know what I'm saying? It was, that's what they were about at the time. Even back to Beastie Boys or Run DMC, it's like that kind of frat party like music almost. And he was not at all in love with the culture vibes. So we left with some kind of like, all right, see you when I see you. You know what I mean? And he was not in love with the solid ground movement <laughs> at that time. Yo, that's a huge knowledge nugget that you just shared. Like just the idea of how companies see things. Like what you just said with the we sell beer to college students. Yo, look, I work in corporate America, man. That is how companies feel about peoples and shit right it's yeah. not like <clears throat> there's no fucking love for the consumer and shit whatever whatever yeah but as you say it and i think about the roster and i think about the energy and i'm like you know like young at that point when that shit's all popping off and it, it was mm -hmm. man, to like be like this cool energy and that's crazy to think about especially with the video games and everything else that ended up coming around with that yeah, yeah i mean and, that. and, that's a nuts thing yeah i mean and it's it's big in my life because 
there, you know, there's times I've, I've extracted and unpacked that moment so many times because I often think about what if we had not played him music and we had just pretended we were like this this deer in the woods kind of like, hey, we don't know what to do now. Like you make us you make us a career. Right. And see what what he would have invested in or what he have tried to do and what control we might have had or wouldn't have. It also, though, plays in the larger picture to his um stereotype of him as this culture vulture right because mm. frankly when we make music or i'll speak for myself when i make music i genuinely put my heart soul emotion thoughts ideas into the music i do not see my music as beer for college kids right i don't see it as easily consumed as that nor do i see it as frivolous as, as that i see it as like a long-lasting move or, or long-lasting idea or thought and when I put the energy into it, I don't see it being consumed like he does. But to your point, that's very much the corporate vision of the shit. Like, how much of this can we sell? How quickly can we sell it? How many people's hands can we get it into? And so his analogy is spot on. But in the in the when I was in the moment, it was like a turnoff to me. And it wasn't now until I'm more evolved, you know, that or years later that I was able to see the impact and the and truly the the truth in what he was saying. Mm. I kind of relate to that I would not have understood that metaphor when I was like you know I wouldn't until recently but now I get I get the bigness of it um, I'm kind of glad we live in a world where a lot of those tactics are more transparent and it's easier to kind of wrap our head around the way the industry treats people and a lot of people had to share stories like this in order for people to be able to have that kind of context so thank you for contributing to that now I know you have to go and I know you have a lot of your story left um, uh and I hope we can get you back for a part two in the future. But um, before you do, you just released a new album. And uh, I feel like we have a good 15-ish minute safe you know, left. So we should talk about your project so the people can see it. I'm going to link it in the chat on my side. And then it will be linked down below in the description and everywhere that this video appears and whatnot. So people will have the opportunity to do it. For one thing, uh, just to stay off the jump, The Butters is one of the most catchy fucking songs i've heard all, all of 2020 it is just so Excellent. amazing Excellent. i like the message in it too I, I love the way that you have like the like a memo and and then i think it flows into a song about women or no some yeah mom memo i think goes into your yeah something about yes, the women the yes, flow of the album is just beautifully put together it's well constructed you can listen to it over and over and over again and it just it, it has that depth to it um every song is about something unique which I thought was also amazing. It felt like it was your experience. It felt like it was meant to be something empowering for your people. I mean, I definitely don't think all those songs were targeted at me, although I can appreciate them. Um, but I loved what I listened to. Um, I liked the flossiness, the one with the poison pen feature in them. That was amazing. The beat there. Oh my gosh. Some of these beats are just like infectiously good. That's love... excellent. And some of those you're calling out are produced by myself and none. So that's dope. Yeah, Nunzio uh, was uh, bragging about that a little bit when I last talked to him, uh, which is amazing to me. It's amazing that you guys still work together from the, from being in high school and shit to this fucking day. That's yes. incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll have to say like everything. The line that most sticks out to me is how your underwear and your socks even are fly. Like that's oh, fly, yo. Yo, I have low socks on currently, like right now on my body. 
So be clear, you know what I'm saying? It's it's not a game. Like this is my lifestyle, you know what I'm saying? So I love it. that part is is and you know that's that's the thing about my album is it is all of me, right? It is the conscious dude who's talking about my ancestry. It's the guy who's talking about my mother and all black women. It's the guy who's talking about the butters, but it's also the guy who's talking about getting fresh cuz I does that. You know what I'm saying? That's a factory. So it's all who I am. You know, if, if you see that part as a blessing or a flaw, just let it be seen because that's who I am, you know? No, and and I appreciate I appreciate your thought. You're listening to the album. And I also want to make a note that, A, I, I do want to come back for part two. And how interesting is that the part where I was talking about my life really ended at the start of EOW, you know? So when we can, when we reconvene, we can literally talk about the, the start of EOW and, and how it moves on from there. But this album, man, is really positive and powerful for me. It was cathartic making it throughout the pandemic. It was incredible being blessed to make it with Nunzio, as you mentioned, one of my best friends literally from high school. Um, and speaking to those beats, we're called Solid Ground and the initials are SG. And our first EP ever was called Strategy God, which is a, you know, extrapolation on the SG. So we this year formed, well, last year formed a production team called Strategy God, which is both Nunzio and I. And we put, we, we produced Black Woman, uh, The Butters, and oh. Sauce It Up. All, I mean, all those songs that you just mentioned. Phenomenal songs all over. Super memorable tunes, and I I don't say that lately. Like I say that as in like, listen, I from the first time I heard you, I was like, yo, Big Zoo something special. All right, now to be fair, I am drawn to more of a conscious sound. I am drawn to ideas, and when Same. I hear an album, there are certain rules I think make a great album something timeless. Uh, one of them is a progression. As you go through your album, you feel that progression. You feel like the songs interlinked to it. A lot of people do shit like make one song stop at the start of the next thing and they do little tricks. But you were doing really smart things, like I said at the beginning, like using, fuck, I can't, uh, the, I can't the remember memos. what it was. The memos. Yeah. And, and I went from my that. mother into Black Woman. And you talk about the Nina Simone. That's it. I was trying to remember Nina Simone. talking about No Fear, and then it goes into Fear Not. That was done purposefully strategically consciously and you're it's right beautifully done and and i feel like every song sounds distinctly different right so that's where it gets really interesting because when you review music man albums that don't bring something new to the table late game are awful honestly they're not fun to listen to because late game is when it gets kind of boring to hear the same track sometimes some of the classic albums when you're first hearing them today maybe are not as fun because i don't have all the emotion and memories but with your stuff man the vibe changed like yo like even the super the the super trap or the trap one that you did yeah, where you're yep, talking yep, about yep. the crime cycle over right. the way that the vibe was completely different. I'm like, yo, Big Zoo can rock it like that? You know, it's just fire. And he brought every, everything out of unique flow to it. And to me, it was masterfully put together. I would highly recommend that to anybody. And I would just, it, uh, it, it's really well done. Dude. It's it's one of the nicest albums I heard that, that, that came thank out you. recently. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it would it, it really was um, born, uh, you know, we started working on it really prior to the pandemic. I, I said February is when I would say we really started working. And then, you know, we suffered with the pandemic as well as the death of vice versus. All of these were the ingredients, the kind of claustrophobic nature of um, of 
of staying inside the house and then working with none being, I felt like that was one comfortable place I could go and get these ideas out. And frankly, um, you know, I'm on many albums prior to this, right? The Three Kings album, the Solid Ground albums, the 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 EOW compilation albums, all the guest verses I've done, but I've never done a solo album. And I'll be frank that I did really feel, I'm also a very spiritual dude. Part of me felt like God was like, sit down, make this music, like get these ideas out of your head into the world. And this was the perfect opportunity to do it. So even when the music wasn't there that we wanted, in essence, Nunzio and I had to create it, you know? So everything that went into this album was organic and um, really thoughtful and conscious. So I'm I'm glad you're appreciating it. Not for real. Big Zoo, they don't even know it on my side, but this guy cut off the dome shit. That just sounds like it was a record. This guy is one of the most, like, listen, every time I come to end of the week, I'm not even going to lie. I'm just waiting for that time that Big Zoo goes, I didn't even know you rocked it like that. Yo, that's like the stamp of fucking approval. It's the, it's a, it's a, let me tell you something. I had said this last week when we were talking to Nunzio in the chat, you had um touched on it. And then in the chat, I said, everybody wants the responsible mom's approval. And let me tell you something. That's not like uh, just you guys. This goes back. You know what I mean? This goes back to my class. It goes back probably to the first class ever from Webify and the first guys to ever come out EO Dub. Like you, you appreciate um, uh, uh, getting uh, props maybe from Pro and Vice, but it's like it's something a little bit more like coveted when Zoo, because Zoo is a little bit more reserved Yo. with his just giving away of props. I so think when so. you get one from him, it's so it's so it's like you. You you feel like you do in a video game, right? Where you're just like, yes, yes, I did it. Man. I it's did literally it. that. That's exactly it. how I feel. I like, uh, yes, yes, that's exactly. I respect Every, it. I respect it, gentlemen. No, for real. And here's the thing: I said this to many of people, and everybody agrees with me. Okay, like a hundred percent agreement, right? At least up in the Quebec folk and the limited other people I've talked to outside of it, man. Big Zoo, your influence is ridiculous. And it's true, you hold it back. You've never said it one time when I've done it. I respect that. I do some weird shit. And you go for a certain type of thoughtfulness. And I, I see what you go for. I see the kind of penmanship that you're looking for. And it's really not what I'm great at. So I understand it. I have no disrespect for it. But it makes me want to learn it. And that's what I love about the, the idea of it is it makes me go, okay, fine. Maybe not is what I normally do. But how can I get Big Zoo to say that? How can I figure it out? And that's what it is about you. Okay? Because... You are so sincere with it. Like when Sammy jumped on and you just gave her that sincere fucking love because of her energy and how she brought I was like, that's it, man. Son, that shit is just yeah. so real. You can't manufacture yeah. that. Sammy came in with the right energy off top. I see her tonight too, but when she came back second time, I just felt like she's gang now. Like this, yeah. it just is like she got jumped in. Cause um, it's a, it is, it's an energy. It's a feeling that you have, you know, I, I feel like, um, wow. So in my personal life, right, I'm a consultant and uh, education consultant, right? And uh, I, I've, I've held many, you know, I've been a teacher, I've been a dean, I was a school principal. Um, I don't know what those positions relate to in Quebec, right? But I've, I've, I've run a school before. And 
I got recruited to be in this position I'm in now. I'm, I'm a consultant where I now work with schools around the country. I currently have a big contract in Texas, a big contract in Newark and Massachusetts, and of course, all up and down New York. And I'm working with different schools and districts, engaging in a myriad of different things. But when I was a principal, this guy was coming to me. His name is Hayden Lyons. And he said to me one day, so frankly, it was it was almost um, it was almost like a, a negative mixed with a compliment. But he said, I think you would be great for consulting. And he was like, frankly, I'm not even saying you'd be great because of your academic knowledge. I'm saying you would be great because your ability to talk to people and connect with them and build with them and make them feel connected. He's like, that shit is admirable. Like you're, you body in that lane. So I've always unpacked that. He was basically saying like, you're not real smart. Like you're not the smartest dude, but your superpower is like talking to people and building with them and connecting with them. And he was very frank about that. And, and he was a hundred percent right in my current position it serves me so well because it's about navigating through these conversations and, and, and developing relationships with people. Nah, man, as you got a comment here, you are a storyteller and that's a big facts. Yo, big dude, facts. I feel I like, say, sorry, Flacco. I would say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that I would say that uh, zoo, like you, I know that you said that you consider yourself like a conscious rapper, right? But like, I would say, that I consider you like a great rapper, a, a traditionally great rapper, right? Because great rappers, you don't, conscious rappers can sometimes, uh, they, won't, they won't talk about some of the things that you do talk about, Big right? Facts. Like they might they might not talk, uh, uh, floss on the track at all, you know? Not at all. They would, they, they would probably steer clear of talking about like uh, maybe violent situations and things that happen. And if they did touch on it, maybe it'd be more from a judgmental standpoint. Where <clears throat> with you, you don't you don't do that. You come from you come from an educational standpoint, like the great rappers, right? Like I always like to cite to people that the '80s, like the schism came in hip hop, where like you keeping it real, like that all really came about in the '90s. It was understood mm -hmm. in the '80s that all the rappers they didn't have to live that shit. They were yeah. there to just they were there to just explain to everybody to be the, the the reporter the the conveyor the the go between the streets to the ears of the masses you know what i mean and that's like a tradition of great rappers guys like rock kim guys like kane guys like you know what i mean uh, uh even jay and nas right where it's just like I, they don't they talk on uh, conscious things but they also talk on the right. every other thing thing yeah because well, on that great, note on that note, I, can I can I share something before I leave here today? Yes. Yeah. Um, you talked about um, different, you know, the storytelling, right? And how I'm a good storyteller. This is something I'm trying to exhibit um, currently in some of this music, and I want to share this song. This is not on the album. This is something recent. It's produced by a brother named Clip Smoke, and it's called "The Death of Ignorance," right? I want you to listen to this. This is a story. It's called The Death of Ignorance. Really proud of that one. I'm digging that one. Story vibe. Ignorance dies, right? And intelligence says the eulogy. All of the family Yo, the eulogy. Asinine, yeah. his son, Tom Foolery. Even the his, dumb uh, line I liked because it kind of connected with people there a little bit. Exactly. That's the line that will get everybody. Like the grandmother will know Dumb and Dumber, right? 
So you throw a couple in there to, to get sure everybody's at the table. Anyway, bro, this has been a pleasure tonight, man. Thank you so much. It has been. I want to thank you for being here with us. We appreciate you so much for sharing with us. Every time you talk, it's a blessing. Every time you start telling a story on a, on a Zoom call, everybody stops. Like you, There's not many people that can break up a hip-hop cypher, talk for 10 minutes about history, and make the whole room stick around. But you are accomplished at this art, and it is wonderful every Ooh. single time. So yes, I thank you yes. for that. So just to like, you know, wrap up the video a little bit. Thank y'all for watching this everywhere that everybody is watching this on all the different places. We appreciate you for real reels. Make sure to leave comments on all the places you can leave comments and subscribes and follows and all that good stuff and the likes and all that stuff and anything. We do appreciate you for real. Because yeah, without y'all, it's just us talking, which is lovely. Because don't get me wrong, talking to Big Zoo is a privilege, a huge privilege. But it's more fun to share it with y'all. And uh, I think we all learned a lot from you today. And I really, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you giving us your time like that and helping us keep this thing stay alive because this is the fifth week. And uh, that's pretty incredible. You know? Excellent. And Thank you for having me, bro. Thank you to all the people on the space listening, watching. Remember, my album is called No Beast So Fierce. It's currently out on all streaming platforms. My name is Big Zoo. And um, um, it's a blessing to be here and continue this legacy of EO Dub. Salute to the life spirit of my brother, Vice Versus. It's why we're here. And um, thank you for having me. I will definitely check in with y'all again. Appreciate you, Big Zoo. Have a great time, great day, etc. Respect, respect. Peace and blessings, King. Thank you, Flacco. Peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.